So you might notice Pastor Sam is not here this week. Him and Betsy are out of town on vacation. So Pastor Paul Glenn is here to preach. But before he comes up, we have a short video. Thessalonica was one of the most populated and prosperous cities in the ancient Greek kingdom of Macedonia, and it was an important trade route between Rome and Asia. Paul and Silas traveled to Thessalonica around 50 or 51 AD as part of their second missionary journey. It was the first time that the gospel was preached in the continent of Europe, and word was spreading. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Local Jesus Local Roman Christ. and Jewish leaders felt threatened by the growing reach of the gospel message and began persecuting believers. It got so bad that Paul and Silas had to flee the city after just three weeks. The book of 1 Thessalonians is Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, encouraging them to stay strong and keep their faith alive in the midst of terrible persecution. Today, this book serves as a reminder for us to live our faith alive in the middle of our own struggles. Good morning. It's awesome to see all of you. Some of you probably don't have a clue who I am, and that's okay. Um, I'll just give you my own brief uh, intro. So for uh, 20 years, we were here at Grace Covenant, actually um, came on staff. I used to be the executive pastor at uh, the Cornelius campus, and then actually started our East Lincoln campus and led that for a few years, and then came and uh, came to Statesville. But um, for those of you who know us, uh, I would want to say to you, uh, just give you a quick little update, because uh, some of you will want to know. Um, so I continue to work for our denomination. I oversee properties, uh, church properties and church real estate matters for the denomination uh, across the U.S., and my team does that. Um, Susan still sells insurance and uh, is busy with all of that. But our kids are the things that we're most excited these days. How many of you know it's really good whenever your kids... Like they're grown and you know that they're going to take care of themselves and you don't have to worry about that. That's just a good feeling, right? We're there. Thank you, the Lord. Um, but um, our daughter, let's see, our son, our son is, uh, actually turns 25 today, um, which some of you knew him when he was three or two, um, but turns 25 today and um, he's a flight instructor. He's engaged to an adorable young lady. If he messes this up, we're keeping her and sending him back. <laughs> Um, she is beautiful, she is talented, she worships in the church that they attend, she's a worship leader, and she uh, loves Jesus. I tell people all the time, it's like, you know that Bible that your grandma used to have that it was like all written in, and it was really big and thick and gnarled up, and just like it had just been overused? She's like 22, and that is her Bible. She is a woman of the word, and I love that. Right? As a parent, you love that for your kids. Um, anyway, so they're getting married in 41 days. Who's counting? Not me. Um, <laughs> and uh, our daughter, Celia, she, is, uh, she oversees social media and communications in the little church that we're at. Um, and she also has a photography business. Her husband, Jacob, leads Young Life for all of Randolph County. And uh, probably one of the most exciting things besides the wedding in 41 days is that Jacob and Celia are going to make us grandparents this year. So, yeah, we're really excited about that. <clears throat> In November, we're going to have a little girl. So I've got, I'm adding two girls to my family this year, um, and I'm excited about it. Um, so for those of you, some of you, you may or may not really know much of the history about Grace Covenant Statesville, and uh, 
our sermon this morning is going to kind of lead, it kind of makes sense for me to share some of that with you. But um, So some of you may not know, but in 2001, just two weeks after 9-11, uh, Grace Covenant planted a church, planted its first church, launched out to be its own separate congregation, and uh, planted Grace Covenant Statesville. Their, the pastor was Greg Laskowski, he was the executive pastor at Grace at the time. Uh, was and still is a personal friend of mine. And, um, and after uh, about 13 or 14 years, uh, Greg burned out. This congregation was looking for a pastor uh, and wasn't, wasn't finding what, what they hoped they would find as far as the, their next pastor. They looked long and hard. And, um, and along the way, uh, we had launched East Lincoln. I had launched East Lincoln. Was I was leading that campus, and the idea of being a third campus somehow came to this congregation, and you guys decided and requested, could we consider being a third campus? And so along the way, I left East Lincoln, came to Statesville to, to help the transition and all of that kind of stuff, and then led here for three years before I went to work for the denomination. So some of you have been here through that, and you know all that history. You walked all that history um, you are that history, and some of you are just the recipients of all that has gone in before. Um, but as uh, as I transfer, as I kind of got into, um, before I go, let me just say this: if I haven't spoken to a lot in front of people a lot, so I have a lot of things to say today. <laughs> but I don't want you to be worried about that because we will still be done early enough that you can beat the Baptist to the cafeteria <laughs> by noon. I know some of you, Lynn's like, by noon? What are you talking about by noon? <laughs> I knew somebody would get that. No, really, genuinely, it is, um, it's my privilege to be here today with you to uh, once again be able to open the word of the Lord and look at it together and see what it would say to us. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon and reading through the text, um, there's some aspects of it that really I felt as if I was reading my own thoughts regarding you. Um, but I'll let you be the judge of that. So let's read, um, let's look at our text this morning. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll begin in verse 2. To the church of the state's villains. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know, we lived among you for your sake. But you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in North and South Carolina. And the Lord's message rang out from you not only here, but in everywhere, and your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They 
tell how God, how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, the one who rescues us from the coming wrath. So this morning, as we begin, I get to launch your sermon series, which is kind of rare. I haven't launched a sermon series for you guys in a long time, and, um, and it's exciting. So I just want you to know that over the next five weeks, um, I will not be here those five weeks. Um, Sam won't even be gone all of those five weeks. But over the next five weeks, you're going to um, begin this sermon series called Faith Alive, and you're going to work your way through... Uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. It is uh, Paul's first letter to the church of Thessalonica. And, um, and it, along the way, in reading the scripture and, and, um, and through this series, you're going to discover what faith alive looks like. Not just a believing faith, but a vibrant faith. A faith that honors God and impacts others and does it in spite of the culture that's around. When we look at where the Thessalonians were and what they were dealing with, um, it's not that far off of where we are today. You would think that with 2,000 years and a lot of technology, it would be very different. (laughs) It's not. It's not really that different. Um, But the series is entitled Faith Alive because Paul was concerned about the believers that he had left behind. He was concerned about those believers in Thessalonica. Scripture indicates that this is his second missionary journey and that he takes along Silas and and they visit this city called Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was a capital. It was the capital of Macedonia, and that was a Roman province, and it's actually kind of east of where Italy would be and Rome, and you had Macedonia, and then down on the coast, you had Achaia. And so it was this thing, and it was a capital city of, these, of this province, and, um, and he visited there. In Paul's day, it was estimated that there were about 200,000 people living in this city, Today, there's about 300,000, and oddly enough, it is one of the very, very few New Testament-era cities that still exist today. Um, It's not that far off of uh, what it was. So we have this letter to the Thessalonians, but how do we get here, right? So if we go back and we look at Acts, we see in Acts, it's in the 17th chapter of Acts, we, we get this indication that Paul visits there for a short period of time. In fact, we find out that he's only there for three Sabbaths. So he's there for three Sundays. He's preaching for three Sundays. I don't know if he did a series, I don't know what he did, but he was there for basically three Sabbaths in the temple, in the synagogue, I mean, I mean not, not the temple, he's in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. So at least, at least there are two weeks, maybe a little more, maybe three weeks, But then persecution broke out there, and he and his companions had to flee. They had to leave there as well. So he's sitting in this situation where he's um, wondering what's happened, right? What happened to them? There were so many who came uh, to the Lord. And so um, for this reason, uh, he writes this letter. Actually, um, let me read 
Acts 17 with you before we get to the, to the letter, to the, the other part here. Acts 17, verse 3 says, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He said, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. And then the persecution broke out. So Paul's concern is that these Thessalonians, um, they've come to faith in Christ, but will it survive? Because they're amidst persecution. They're in a place that worships with idolatry. Um, adultery was all over the Roman province. Debauchery, all of that was, in, was going on around the entire Roman Empire. And he's wondering about these, this group of believers that he was only able to be with a very short period of time. And he's wondering, how are they doing? And so... Oddly enough, he actually sent Timothy. We find earlier in, um, that he sent Timothy along to find out how they were doing. And Timothy's just come back, and he's come back with a report. And so based on what he's heard from Timothy, now he writes this letter to the Thessalonians based on Timothy's visit. And that's where we are. And so his challenge uh, to them in this letter and throughout this series is not just to um, profess Jesus, we all need to do that, but to live Jesus and to live a faith that's vibrant and alive and is remarkable. So this morning, I want to go back and I want to look at two portions of our text. We're going to look, just so you know, it's always good for, for you to know where we're going so that you'll know when we get there. Um, we're going to look at verse 3, and then we're going to separately look at verses 6 through 8. So in verse 3, it says this. It says, We remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. Again, when I read this chapter, knowing that I'm coming here, I'm telling you, this is like I'm reading the letter that I would have written. It's so funny to me. See, when Grace Covenant Statesville was planted, there was so much work to be done in this congregation. First off, they, you guys, uh, you spent a couple of years, you may not know this, but you spent your first couple of years at the YMCA, meeting there, setting up and tearing down every Sunday. And then the next Sunday you set up and you tear down and you do all these things. But you're also doing things within the city. You guys were... Um, you're doing outreaches in the park and things like that. And after a few years, you found and you went to Third Creek Elementary. If you didn't know that, you, this congregation moved to Third Creek Elementary and you were there for, man, five years maybe, something like that, a number of years. And um, again, setting up and tearing down every Sunday and setting up and tearing down every Sunday and you had trailers that you would load stuff in and out of, um, but you were also, like, you were loving on the city at the same time. Just as hard as you were working to do Sunday services, you were doing VBSs and wild jams and um, sports camps and those kind of things. And then after a number of years, then the congregation moved to South Iredale High School. And again, the idea was it would be a little less set up, but it really didn't, it didn't release this, it didn't lower the setup that much, but still setting up and tearing down. But again, again this idea of... Um, you know, reaching the city and 
still the setup and the tear down, a lot of work, a lot of effort went in. And then we were able to move after the reconnection, right, back to Grace Covenant and the planning church. We were able to move downtown, went to the upper room, worked through all kinds of stuff with the city when the city kept saying no, no, no. And then all of a sudden we're praying and all of a sudden they're saying yes, yes, yes. But with all of that, then there was still more work. Then there was remodeling that space and working. Then there was still the setting up and the tearing down. And while we were there, we were participating in all the downtown events. And um, man, there were, I've never even been to an art crawl till, till then. I, I was like, why would, why would I want to go to a place where the, where the art is crawling? That is so, I'm not much of an art person to begin with. Um, concert nights and Halloween alternatives and all the things the city was doing. We were right in the middle of all of it, just continuing to pour in love. And, and then somewhere along the way, uh, I don't know, I stumbled on, found this location. And there were two people in these two units down here, and there was one on the end down here, and the rest of this was open. And we found out that the Marlins opened. So Peggy Marlin, her husband, used to own the pharmacies, and now they've, that's all been sold. But... um. I started talking with her, and she was so excited that a church would be here. I mean, not just the fact that it was going to be rented, but the fact that there was going to be a church that was going to be here. And so all along the way, finding this, getting from all the way from the YMCA and the first launch all the way here, it was so much work and so many things to do. But all along the way, your faith, right, this congregation's faith was what fueled all the work fueled all the efforts, all the setting up and the teardown, the outreaches, the wild jams, all the sports camps, all of those music nights, all of that. And somehow along the way, um, I think in moments it felt like hard work, but overall when we would look back, it didn't seem like it was impossible, right? It, the labor wasn't that impossible. And I think part of that was because like these people, it wasn't just about the work, but it was about the love. Like, you loved the city, right? You loved the city for decades. Constantly finding ways that you could love the city, love the people, and, and you loved one another, and it was exemplifying. You were serving. And somehow in the midst of all of the time that passed and never having a permanent place and all that kind of stuff, you instill, you endured all of that. And so I'm reading this passage where it says, I remember your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. I'm like, oh my gosh, Paul is writing this to Statesville. This is crazy. You endured all of that so that the hope would be passed on to others, the hope of the gospel, um, the hope of reaching others, the hope that we would see salvations, the hope that we would see life transformations and marriages coming back together and families that would be different in this city. That was your hope. Hope for a different future and even, honestly, hope for this. Right? There was a hope along the way. It's like, we hoped to have a building. We thought it was going to be on a bunch of acres down by the camping world. What street is that? Ron, help me. What's the name of that street where the old place was, that land was? Do you know? What is it? Race? 
I don't remember. But anyway, we owned acreage next to the, the Harley-Davidson, basically. And uh, we thought that was going to be where the building was going to be. Um, that was going to be our permanent home. But honestly, along the way, the Lord just has different things and different ways of looking at all of that. But you were hopeful of having a permanent space, a permanent home, a permanent place where you could continue to reach into the city, where you could continue um, to have a base of operations, a base, a place where you could invite people to and um, come and worship with us. But I'm going to tell you this. Love, endurance, hard work, events, a permanent space, all of that's great. But none of that really indicates that faith is alive. None of that indicates a vibrant faith. None of that really necessarily has the ability to stir faith alive in others. It's more than that. So in your notes today, it says this, we're saved by grace alone, but the grace of God must be lived out in our lives as we daily follow Christ. We're called not just to know Jesus, but to follow Jesus and to make him known. One of the other things that's right there in your, in your notes as well is a, is a quote from Carrie Shook, and it says this, the world is tired of hearing our sermons and Christian phrases. They want to see a sermon lived out. They quickly turn out our talk. They want to see our walk. See, often the problem with Christianity is the disparity between the messages we proclaim and the lives we actually lead, the church we promote and the church that we are. Along the way, like it has to really be alive. It can't just be an image, right? It has to truly be our identity. Image is that thing you want to project to, to others, right? There's three things. There's image. Image is the thing you want to project to others. That's basically who you are on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> then there's reputation. That's what other people think you are, regardless of what you project, and sometimes people live even to that. They live to their reputation because they've become known as this, right? And so they try to live to that. But the reality is, is that there's an identity that we have to come to, right? An identity is who we really are, who God knows us to be, right? Sometimes we're even lost and we don't even know who we are. But our identity is who we really are. So let's look at the second portion uh, of our text, and it's verses six through eight. It's, we're going to get into your notes. I know some of you are thinking, he's not even at the notes. Where is this guy going? We've been, we've been here for a long time. He's really not kidding about that noon thing, is he? Oh, that's so funny. Okay, so that was all my introduction. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, verse six says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in those places, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. I want to I point out three phrases in those three verses as we step into the outline portion of your notes. Verse 7, and so you became a model to all the believers Verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. And the end of that verse says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. So how do you live a contagious faith? How do we do that? 
Well, the first thing I think we do is we have to be the message of Jesus. There's a famous quote. You've probably heard it once a year at least because it's, it's so famous that we quote it often. And it's from St. Francis of Assisi. I don't know why they call him a sissy, but anyway, St. Francis of Assisi, um, he said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, right? Because your, mess- your life is a message, and the message we communicate by our lifestyle is the most powerful message we send. People are watching and listening. So what was the message of Jesus? If we're supposed to be the message of Jesus, what was that? Well, there were several things. He said, the kingdom of God is here. It's now. He told us that I've come from the Father. He says, I can only do and say what the Father tells me to say. He says, I came to give you life and sonship. And just a, a little rabbit for a second. I came to give you life. That was your option in the garden, and you chose otherwise. Did you realize that? In the garden, there were two trees. There was one, right? Good and evil. It's forbidden. Don't go there. And the tree of life has no fence around it. Go there, right? But what what did we do? We chose our own path. We chose to become our own, in control of our own destiny. I'm a self-made man, We chose that path, and the reality was, is what's he been doing ever since then? He's still been saying, I've come to give you life. I want to take you back to that tree, right? Because it's in that life, it's in that obedience, was the second thing, which is what we were really supposed to do in the first place anyway, was become sons and daughters. Sonship, right? Jesus This was his message. We were intended to live as sons and daughters. We weren't just intended to to be born so that we could be saved and rescued. Like, why were we rescued? Listen, if one of you is drowning and I decide whether I'm going to throw you a life raft or not, I probably have a reason for doing it if I throw you. And it's not just to save you, right? There's probably a lot more to it. I see your future. There's a, your family. There's so many. There's, I, I know you, right? I'm pulling you towards relationship. All those things. There's so many things. But we stop short in what we think. But the other message that Jesus said was repent and be baptized. This idea of turning back to the Father, right? It's coming back to this whole point of life and doing it publicly. Don't hide behind the fig leaves. Come out here publicly and say, no, I, I choose life. I choose the Father. You and I are to be the message of Jesus, that his kingdom has come, that his son has provided us the way of life back to the Father, that we are intended to be sons and daughters. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not just the fact that you got a house in heaven. That is not the good news of the gospel. That is a side benefit. The second thing we do, if we want to live a, a faith that's alive, is we have to be an imitator of Jesus. So Jesus, what was he doing while he was here? He was always pointing people to the Father. Always. 
He was always, he never pointed people to himself. Show me one place where he pointed himself. There was a couple places where he finally declared, this is who I am. But for the most part, all along the way, he kept pointing to the people to the Father. Look at John, man. There's a whole series through the book of John. It's like, here's the Father. I only do the Father's work. I only do what he says. I want you to see the Father. He glorified the Father, not himself, not other people. And he had a kingdom mindset. Jesus was constantly mindful that he was pulling people back to the kingdom, right? He had a kingdom mindset, a kingdom intention, a kingdom purpose, a kingdom focus. We get so focused on so many other things, our families, our careers, our housing situations, uh, whether our cars are running or not, our neighbors, that barking dog next door. There's so many different things that we let distract us in life and we lose our kingdom purpose. The other thing is if you want to imitate Jesus, you have to love other people. Not just like them. We have to love them. And, And when he did that, you know, he spoke truthfully. So I'm going to come way out here because this reminds me that I'm chasing a rabbit when I come over here. <laughs> How many times do we say, um, well, I'm just going to speak the truth in love. Usually right after that, I'm trying to figure out where the love is. <laughs> right? Because we're missing the love. We're just so focused on the truth, right, that we forget the love part. Jesus loved first, and then he spoke the truth. His love was obvious before he spoke the truth. He didn't have to tell them that he loved them and that this was truth. He loved them first, and then he spoke it. So if, if you ever use that, want to use that phrase, oh, I'm just keeping it real, you're probably missing love. If you, really, if you ever really like, I got two cents and I am going to give it to them, they need it. They, this is truth and they need it. It's probably missing love. As followers of Jesus, we're called to live as he lived and to love as he loved. So you can be the message. You need to be the imitator. You need to be the model. Be the model of Jesus. Verse 8 says, in such a way that you let the Lord's message ring out from you. So you've got to let the Lord's message ring out from your life. Can I just say, don't do it in a religious sort of a way. Don't use all those pet phrases that sounds like you're, you were raised by a Southern Baptist preacher somewhere. Or, right? Don't use a... Voice inflections when you, how many people is like, you talk to, it's like, hey man, how you doing? You know, the Lord needs to say to you, don't change your voice when you start talking about God. That's creepy. (laughs) Jesus wasn't religious and Jesus wasn't creepy. Be the model of Jesus. And he wasn't known about or by what he was against. Jesus was known what he was for. This really, really frustrates me personally at times 
that the church, the American church, has become known by what it's against and not what it's for. Very frustrating. Jesus was known to be for children. He was known to be for the hungry and the thirsty. He was known to be for the infirmed and the afflicted. Jesus was for the needy and the destitute. He was for the unlovable and the insecure. He was for the shamed and the shunned. He was for those who had experienced pain and loss. He was for those who had no one. No one to come to their rescue and no one to help. He was for those who were willing to cry out. And I think we forget this sometimes. He was for those who were bound, bound by sin, bound by Satan, bound by self. He was for them. Verse 8 says that they lived this way. They lived this model in such a way that their faith in God had become known everywhere. Tough question today. Do you feel like that your faith is famous? And if so, for what? You know, just a few years ago, Grace Covenant Statesville was known all over this city. The mayor would walk into restaurants and greet our staff by name. People knew who we were and they knew where we were. We weren't the biggest church. We've never been the biggest church. But the ones that were the biggest churches, they were calling us wanting to partner. They were calling us, asking us to come and sit at the table and strategize of how we win the lost and states filled to Christ. They were calling us and they wanted to know how in the world have you obtained so much favor with your city leaders? Statesville record and landmark were constantly calling, wanting to do articles on you this congregation when we live a vibrant faith everyone will know when we model Christ when we imitate him when we share his message empowered by the Holy Spirit it's obvious. It gets noticed. It becomes famous. But if we lose sight of Christ's purpose of bringing humanity back to the Father, if we lose sight of the purpose 
to be the body of Christ, his hands and his feet in our community. If we become inwardly focused, if we begin to focus on ourselves, our preferences, our desires, we'll be known for that too. One's faith becomes vibrant and contagious when it's seen by others. Because faith is more than a belief. That kind of faith, it produces effort, actual effort, actual labor served up in love in spite of the challenges, in spite of the difficulties it endures with great hope. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't live in this community anymore, but I can tell you this. There are still people in Statesville who still need to know that there is honey in the rock. They need to know that there's water in the stone. They need to know the person who will put manna on the ground for them. They need to know the creator who desires a relationship with mankind and specifically them. And the only way they find that is through us. We have to live out a faith that becomes known, that becomes famous, and not for being creepy. So this morning, if you haven't figured it out, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging each of you to live your life in such a way to live out your faith in such a way that it's known. That it's known everywhere. Live collectively together. Model this out. Model your faith in God so that it becomes known everywhere as Paul writes here. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I come and, Lord, what a privilege to be in this place with people that I know and I love and people that we have walked out the gospel together. Lord, just as the Apostle Paul had great admiration and great love and yet at the same time just a great concern that the Thessalonians would continue to live out. Lord, it's this body of believers that we, we loved. God, I pray that you would work in our lives in such a way that you would stir us. God, that we'd begin to once again see and look and understand the opportunities that you give us to be your hands and your feet. Lord, that we would imitate you, that we would share your message, that we would model love the way that you loved others. God, in such a way that it would be contagious. Lord, I pray that you would make your love through this congregation a pandemic in this city that the gates of hell cannot prevent, that there is no vaccination against your love. Lord, I pray that you'd 
stir that in us, that you'd begin that in us, Lord, that we would be that in this community and that, Lord, that it would inspire and stir our other churches, our partners in the kingdom. Lord, help us to be inward focused to this city. And Lord, again, I just pray that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, speaking to us today is really critical. But Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us tomorrow morning, and Thursday afternoon, and on Saturday, and that we'd be just as stirred, just as energized, just as excited to live a vibrant faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Listen, I'm going to stick around for a little while. I don't know what needs might be represented in the congregation today, but I just want you to know before you leave today, if you have a need, it would be my grand pleasure to pray with you. Because I still believe, I don't know what everybody else believes, but I know what I believe. I believe God still hears and answers prayers. I believe he still does miracles. I believe he still wants to work in our lives and not just our lives, but all of their lives. And if he needs to work in our bodies and our situations first so that we can go and tell it on the mountain, then let's do it. So again, it's been our pleasure to be with you today. I hope that as you go today that um, you sense the Lord's presence and uh, you're encouraged and inspired to walk with him. God bless you guys. Have a great day.